Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, we want to look in, in Genesis 3 tonight. And, uh, you know, just continue getting the, the, this basis, this beginning of Scripture that gives us the basis for everything else that's going on. It gives us an understanding of why God is doing what he's doing throughout the rest of Scripture. Because, you know, we, we learned that, that at some point God had created in a spiritual realm for himself with spiritual beings, and then sometime after that, and, you know, I don't know how time works for them, but after that he created a physical realm with physical beings. You know, he, he started with, there was absolutely nothing and then he created this unformed and unfilled chaos, and he formed creation. He filled creation with all sorts of creatures, but it culminated in humanity, who are God's imagers. And humanity were to be God's vice regents on earth. They were to represent him. They were to fill the earth. They were to subdue the earth. They were to take dominion of the earth under his dominion. You know, humanity would be under God's dominion, and the earth would be under their dominion. He they would be his vice regions. But, you know, at some point, one of God's spiritual creatures decided to rebel against God. He wanted to take a position uh, of authority that didn't belong to him. He, he was filled with pride. He was filled with arrogance. He, he, he thought that he could do things better than God. You know, like that song goes, anything you can do, I can do better. I guess he thought he could run things better than God or something. I don't know, but he wanted to usurp God's position, but he made his move by approaching God's physical creation, tempting the man and woman uh, to join him in his rebellion. I mean, if the man and woman would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, well, if you do that, even though God said not to, you know, you don't have to listen to God because he, he knows that if you do that, you're going to become just like him. Well, they fell for the trap. And uh, they, 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 they were tempted, they fell, and they joined the serpent in his rebellion. God approached the man and woman and sought them out to confront them with what they had done. And you know, the man and woman, they were filled with guilt and shame now, something that they hadn't had before. Um, but now they had this guilt and shame. They tried to hide from God, which is an impossible task. They tried to escape from God, which is an impossible task. And uh, they were confronted with their disobedience, but they didn't want to take responsibility, so they wanted to play the blame game. So the man who was confronted first, because he was the head, he was the covenant head, he was confronted first, and he said, well, it's that woman you gave me. And so God confronted the woman, and the woman said, well, it's that serpent, this thing over here. It deceived me, which it did. Still not, a, not an excuse. Well, God had said, if you disobey me in this, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. You'll be judged. Well, judgment time has come. And yet, even in the midst of declaring judgment, declaring what is death, I mean, they would die, God also declares a plan, a plan of redemption. God does not give up on humanity god does not give up on us and so he has this plan but but judgment is real and so 
As we often see as a theme within Scripture, God's justice and God's love and mercy, they're, they're there together. There's, there's this tension between God's justice and God's love and mercy. Now, we know that that tension is taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. God's justice is perfectly taken care of. God's love is perfectly expressed toward humanity. But I want to look at the consequences of what these creatures, the serpent and Adam and Eve, had done. And so looking in Genesis chapter 3, let me read verses 14 through 24. It says that the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden uh, of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so God begins his judgment and he begins with the serpent, the one who began it all. Um, you know, actually, he's the one that's going to lose the most in the long run, although Adam and Eve lost the most immediately. God said that the serpent is the most cursed being that exists. The serpent will go on his belly and will eat dust all the days of his life. I mean, that's what a serpent does. That's just the way that, that they were made. But, you know, within the picture of who this creature is, you know, I know some people say that, well, that means that snakes used to have legs and then they lost them and, and things like that. But I think that something that makes a little bit more sense is what, what God is, is saying is ser he's making the serpent docile. He, 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 he is declaring, this is the curse, that the serpent is going to lose his his power, that he's going to be, you know, made nothing. He thinks he's powerful. He thinks he can do these things, but he will not be able to. You know, the picture is, okay, when a snake is on its belly, for the most part, it's not threatening anyone. But when a snake rears itself up, it's ready to attack. And, and so God is picturing that the serpent, we know, who we know to be Satan, is going to lose the power to attack and is going to lose the power to cause any more damage to God's creation. Now, that's not something that will happen immediately. Obviously, Satan is still wreaking a little bit of havoc here, as we know. But 
it's going, the serpent, Satan, is going to lose his power. He, right here, already, is the declaration that Satan loses. I mean, it, it's, it, unlike the, the pagan uh, religions where, you know, the, the, there's these equal powers fighting one another, there is no equal power. There is only one God. And there is no one that can beat him. This serpent thought that he could overcome God and could beat God? No. You're, you're going to eat dust. You're going to eat, eat dust. You're going to be powerless. You're going to, you're going to be a disgrace. You're going to be a humiliation. You're going to be brought low, is what he's saying to the serpent. And, and, and you know, here's the thing. This, God says that it's going to be all the days of your life. There is no hope for the serpent. There is no hope for the other spiritual beings that join the serpent. You know, there is no redemption of angels. There is no turning back for these spiritual creatures. He is brought low. He is cursed for all of eternity. And then this is driven home in verse 15. Now, verse 15, here's a fancy theological term, is known as the Proto-Evangelium. Okay? Sounds like a rock band. But it's not. What it means is first good news, first gospel. God gives a small glimpse already into his plan of defeating the serpent. And it's also giving hope for the redemption of mankind. And, 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 you know, here, this is an amazing turnaround. The serpent thought that he was bringing about the destruction of humanity when, in turn, God is going to use humanity to bring about the destruction of the serpent. Well, actually, one person within humanity. But God, he first says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. There's going to be a hostility between two opposing forces on this earth. It starts with the individual woman and the servant, but then he says it's going to be your offspring or seed, some versions will say. And, you know, the, there's going to be hostility between your seed and her seed. There's going to be this hostility, so spiritual offspring. <coughs> you know, that uh, uh, it's spiritual offspring, the serpent can't have physical descendants. And so it, it's going to be a, a fight between the spiritual descendants of the woman and the spiritual descendants of the snake. There's going to be two different camps in this world. Those that belong to God through the woman and those that belong to the serpent. And there's going to be constant conflict. And now, you know, it, it talks about the seed of the woman and it talks about the seed of the serpent. And, and here's the thing. The focus of the rest of Scripture comes upon the seed of the woman. So, he, you know, God talks about the seed of the woman. Well, then... The rest of Scripture starts talking about this seed, this offspring. Because, you know, we're going to get into chapter 4, which is Cain and Abel. Cain, the seed of the serpent. Abel, the seed of the woman. The serpent thought, you know, through Cain, by destroying, or, you know, by destroying Abel, okay, the seed of the woman is cut off. Well, no. They give birth to Seth. And then the line, then in, in chapter 5 of Genesis, you have this genealogy from Seth, and you know, it moves on down, going, going through all these people, until it comes to Noah. 
This is the seed of the woman that God is talking about. It goes from Noah, you know, and it goes through some other things, and it ends up with Abraham, and then, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah. And then, you know, the seed and the genealogy continues through David until finally the seed, the offspring that God had promised comes. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate seed, the ultimate offspring of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent with a decisive blow. Now, you know, we, we know that the blow came at the cross, but that, that's, you know, it, the full effects of the cross haven't been felt yet. When Christ returns, that is the final crush of the serpent. But until that happens, there's still the conflict between the offspring. There's still this conflict between the seed. We are part of the conflict. And yet, we also can live in the victory of the seed of the woman. We can live in the victory of Christ, knowing Satan's ultimate end. Knowing that he is a defeated foe. I can't remember how it was exactly described. But we are fighting a defanged enemy. His fangs have been plucked out, so to speak. He has been rendered powerless, even though, you know, he's still, a lot of his power, you might say, comes from, from more deception, deceiving people into thinking he has more power than he actually has. But we were told in uh, Romans 16:20 that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I mean, Paul is saying this to the church. The God of Satan is going to crush, the, the God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet, under the feet of the church, who's the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And so, so we are fighting against a defeated foe. So he is the ultimate cursed one. He is the one that gets the ultimate judgment. However, the serpent is not the only one to come under God's curse and judgment. Now, uh, there's a different plan for humanity. God has a plan for humanity. Yet man and woman still come under curse and, and, and judgment. And, and what we find is that the charge that was given to man and woman about their work on earth is going to be filled with problems and difficulties. You know, when you think about what God had told Adam and Eve, this is what humanity is going to do. Multiply and, and work the earth and take dominion over the earth and subdue the earth. Well, the curses fall right in those categories. So God begins with Eve. And her judgment impacts her two primary roles, that of childbearer and that of helper to man. Because they were given the charge to multiply. Multiply. Have, have babies. Go, have many babies. But now the multiplication would become painful. Her labor would become hard toil. Although, again, you know, even though there's that part of the curse, there's also that part of the hope that some of the offspring will defeat the serpent. <coughs> and then... It says in the ESV that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And I know you've probably heard some of the debate of what that exactly means because some people think that it means that 
in spite of the painful labor and childbirth, the woman would still have desires for her husband. But I don't think that's where, where it's going because the, the same words for like desire and, uh, and, and rule are found in Genesis 4-7 where, where God gives Cain this warning. He, God says, I mean, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at, at the door. Its d- desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And, and so I'm thinking that it's more likely that the curse is that the, the desire of the woman will be to exercise rule over her husband. And, and, and so it's talking about there's going to be this struggle in relationship. There's going to be struggle in human relationships, period, now. But now the, the relationship that is supposed to be the closest and the most intimate, where you know, everyone is supposed to be on the same side, that relationship between man and wife is going to be filled with strife. It's going to be filled with problems. And let's face it, it is. I mean, it's, it's just hard dealing with with, with, with people in general, right? But I mean, sometimes it's even your own spouse. It's like, but that's part of the curse. There's going to be struggles. Um, and, and, and God says, you know, well, I, I think even in, in the original creation, man was given a leadership role and a woman was given this helper role in the original part of, of the relationship. But now with the curse, the woman is going to desire to control her husband, and nevertheless, the man will rule the relationship. Although, here's the thing, it was never meant to be a tyrannical rule. It was to be a side-by-side rule. It was to be a sacrificial rule. It was to be a service kind of, of leadership out of love. Uh, and, but now, just because of the curse, things are all messed up. Men do not lead like they should, and there's a struggle in relationship, and in all of this. And so here's the curse that, that is brought down on, uh, on the woman, but now God turns to the man, who's the covenant head of humanity. While Eve was deceived, man willfully disobeyed God. <coughs> and his curse, I mean, if you want to have a little play on words, is similar to the woman, while the woman's labor would be painful and full of toil now man's labor is going to be painful and full of toil but it's obviously a different kind of labor than I'm I'm talking about because man was placed in the garden to tend the garden to work the garden and then you know they were to to multiply and stretch out from there and and subdue the the earth I mean that was his part of taking dominion over the earth you know so not only were they to take dominion over the animals they were to take dominion over the the earth the plants I mean everything they were supposed to take dominion over but now, you know, what was supposed to be a meaningful work of God has turned into painful labor. I mean, he, it was supposed to be a joyous stewardship of the earth. Farming and everything was supposed to be fun, and it was supposed to be exciting, and it was part of, you know, part of God's work of, of subduing the earth. But now, this, that what was supposed to bring forth food and sustenance is going to bring forth thistles and thorns and weeds and all sorts of stuff and god says it's only going to be by the sweat of your brow that you're going to be able to bring anything useful up out of the ground to eat it's going to be hard work you know where where there was going to be fertility and there was going to be 
just plenty. Now it's a pain. And so it's hitting where man was supposed to be the provider. He was supposed to be the breadwinner. And it's only through difficulty that he's going to be able to fulfill those roles. And this toil shall be lifelong. But to the man, he also mentions the gravest of circumstances, the gravest of consequences for his rebellion and sin. He talks about death. Man was taken out of the ground by God. Remember, he was formed, he was molded, he was shaped out of the ground, he was perfected out of the ground. Well, guess where he's going to go back? He's gonna, man will, will die, his body's going to return back to the ground from which he came. You know, and even though that's a curse that's given under man, I mean, that's a curse for all of humanity, mankind. We are mere mortals made of dust. And now, because of the rebellion of our ancestors, uh, we have a life of labor and, and difficulty, and then we're going to return to dust. That does not sound very hopeful or helpful uh, at all. <coughs> God had warned them, if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, you will die. The serpent tried to deny it. Ah, you won't surely die. Ah, God's lying to you. But they did. They immediately spiritually died. Eventually, they are going to physically die. And then there's the, 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 the end. God has declared the curses. God has said, you will have a difficult life now. Everything that you originally were created to be, everything you were originally intended to be, is now only going to come with pain and trouble. And yet, there's still hope. There's still signs of hope. We first see Adam giving his wife a name, calling her Eve, because she is the mother of the, the, the living. Meaning, you know what, in spite of the curse, life will continue. God has allowed life to continue. And she is still going to give birth. The human race is going to continue. And there's a reminder of the promise of God. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. One can also consider this an act of faith by naming her, you know, naming her life. Even though Adam faces death, he's naming her life because he knows, based on the promise of God, that life will continue, that God will continue not only physical life, but the serpent will be crushed. Another sign of hope is God giving, giving uh, covering for Adam and Eve's nakedness. Um, God is the one who provides for the covering of guilt and shame. You know, if you remember earlier, Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves. They tried to cover their own guilt and shame with fig leaves. But those wouldn't do. Mankind can't cover what they did. God has to provide cover. And this most certainly provide, you know, points to God's provision of Jesus Christ. We cannot cover our guilt and shame and sin. Only God can only God can provide, and now God has provided. Yeah, he provided Adam and Eve with, um, with some skins, I guess the, the original, you know, uh, original clothes of, of leather or whatever. But ultimately, he would provide the greatest of spiritual coverings through Jesus Christ. And, and just as the animal sacrifices were shadows, you know, pointing to the... There, there were types and shadows pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
so it is here. God is going to provide a covering of righteousness. Now, in, in chapter 2, another tree had been introduced among them all, and it was the tree of life. Um, don't know exactly how it all worked. You know, it's, I, would, I, don't, I don't know if it means that, like, Adam and Eve just continuously ate of the tree of life, just that's how their life was sustained, or if it just means that, you know, the tree of life was the source of life, and, and now they're just cut off. Uh, from it but but what we do know is what it's saying here is that that adam and eve have been cut off from the source of life that's why they die that's why they die spiritually that's why they die physically mankind is driven out of the place where they would have divine uh encounters where they would have sweet fellowship with god and now they're going out into a cursed world a world that will only be subdued through difficulty and, and, and to make sure that man doesn't make his way back to the tree of life, and don't know, because God had kind of pulled out from, from there. You know, it talks about these cherubim and then this flaming sword that's, I don't know, flying all, flying all over the place. I have, really have no idea what that, what that means. I mean, I, I'm trying, having a hard time trying to picture that. And all that, but it just you know it just means that God has cut man off from the source of life. That is the curse. They 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 no longer have the source of life. They are now introduced to death. But you find in the book of Revelation that access to the tree of life is given again to mankind through Jesus Christ. Those whose names are written in the book of life now have access to the tree of life. And so, you know, it's just, that's good, that's promising, that's hopeful. Because, you know, it's important to remember that this is just the beginning. And it's not a very good beginning, to say the least, but it's just the beginning. There is a better end to the story. What we lost in Genesis 3, we have regained by Revelation 22. Right now we're stuck in, in the middle. We are still experiencing the results of Adam and Eve's rebellion. We have all those hardships, we have all those curses, we have all those judgments in some way, shape, or form. But that's not the end of the story. God has the final say. God has provided the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. And it is through that offspring, Jesus Christ, that we have access to the tree of life, that we have life. Yeah, we face death. We face death for ourselves. We face death for loved ones and friends and everyone but that is not the final say. God has provided life. And we celebrate that. So, you know, we, we're blessed. We know the rest of the story. But to understand how spectacular the rest of the story is, we have to understand how bad things got. And things are bad. And we know that. And so, even though our lives are affected by the disobedience of Adam. We still live in light of the promises 
of the Paul calls him the second Adam, Paul calls him the final Adam. You know, people are who are in Adam, the original, they're dead spiritually, and they're connected now with the seed, the offspring of the serpent. But now, through the second Adam, through the final Adam, there's a new people, and we are the seed of the woman. We are part of victorious. We are the victory that, that Christ has provided, and so we live in light of, of that. And so, whenever things do get tough in this world, reminding us of the curse that we are under, we always remember there is more to the story. And we know how it ends. And we want to live in that hope. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.